Follow the Prestige TV if you want to catch up on an entire season of Last of Us, if you want to check out an entire season of Poker Face, or most importantly, if you want to get ready for Succession and Yellow Jackets, because we have both of those podcasts coming at the end of March, and we've been doing Succession Hall of Fame episodes as well. It is the Prestige TV podcast. Check it out. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. It is Monday, March 13th. Welcome to our post-Oscars show. I was there last night. Thought it was fine. Pretty paint-by-numbers show. Some emotional speeches. Kimmel was funny. I was sitting with a bunch of Netflix people, and there was that period where all quiet on the Western Front won a few in a row. They thought they had a real chance of pulling off a Best Picture upset. But no, Everything Everywhere All at Once did something that has never been done before. It won all but one of the big six, picture, director, the acting prizes. Plus, it won original screenplay. And if you count Brendan Fraser's actor win for The Whale, the Studio A24 actually ran the table on the top Oscars. Unbelievably impressive. We don't have the ratings yet, and I'm not going to go category by category. The Big Picture Podcast has a great recap of that if you're into it. Today, we are going to talk about Oscar bumps, because that's what this is all about, right? The reason these people spend six months campaigning and shaking hands and going to all the precursor awards helps their careers. There's a long history of unknown or underappreciated actors and filmmakers launching great careers off an Oscar win or even a nomination. Angelina Jolie, Sylvester Stallone, Lupita Nyong'o, Amy Adams, nobodies before that Oscar attention. And this year, there were a bunch of nominees in their shoes, but who wore them best? Who's leveraged all those accolades and press attention to set themselves up for the long run, or at least a shot at real stardom? That is our topic today, and I've asked Justin Kroll, a reporter at Deadline.com, to come on the show. He breaks casting news, so he follows the trajectories of these actors and directors very closely. He knows what they're up to next, and he can help me figure out who really won the awards season. From Austin Butler to Stephanie Hsu to the Daniels, who got the biggest Oscar bumps? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Justin Kroll, who is a senior reporter at Deadline.com, follows the career trajectories of actors very closely and is the perfect guy to talk about who got the biggest Oscar bumps. Welcome, Justin. Good to be back, guys. What we're going to do is we are going to go through some of the young nominees and winners from last night's Oscars, and we are going to game out the top five beneficiaries of the season, meaning the actors who leverage the award season best and set themselves up, maybe not for long-term success, but at least for the opportunity at success and go into a little bit of the machinations behind that. And maybe we'll get into some of the others and honorable mention or some of the big names that got nominated and won. 
We're not interested in Kate Blanchett. We're not interested in, you know, Michelle Williams. These are seasoned actors who don't need this Oscars. I mean, it helps, but they don't need this. It, that, it, it helps from a legacy standpoint for them. Like Kate winning three would be a, is an exclusive club, but she still is someone that Hollywood very much wants to work with. And is con and same with Michelle. Like if if they're, like they're on the top of a lot of of lists, so to speak. Already. So I'm going to start first, and my first nominee for who won the season is actually going to be probably a little surprising to some because this is not someone that was ever considered a front runner for any of these awards. I'm going to pick Paul Mescal because wait, does that surprise you? No, it's my pick. <laughs> oh, it is. Okay, yeah, Paul Mescal. I mean, obviously, he was nominated for. Uh, best actor, but he, I think most people know him from Normal People, the Hulu series. And during the season, he got Gladiator 2. Big, big opportunity there. I mean, it's it's the centerpiece role. Ridley Scott's supposed to return to direct. And that is a great, op a great example of someone leveraging the season and the notoriety to get a massive franchise movie. You agree? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Like he, he, like there was no pressure on him to win, but he's got an Oscar nomination now, just like he got an Emmy nomination for normal people. And, and what I've liked about Paul is that he, he, he does his stuff, but he's all, he's, he's not like anxious. Like he could have done the Daisy Edgar Jones thing and, and run for those big studio stuff. And and for Daisy's point, she's done crawdads was like a, you know, a success that wasn't the, a Marvel movie. The, the, the where the crawdads sing movie. Yeah. But Paul was doing, still wanted to do these, like, I think he, uh, another A24 film was God's Creatures. He was all over the Cannes Film Festival. Like, he mm -hmm. he was, like, someone to keep an eye on. And now he is someone, his agent's Chris Andrews. who And if you know Chris around town, he's a CA agent who guided Daniel Craig's career and Emily Blunt's career when they started, when they came out with Bond and Devil Wears Prada. Like, he that uh, he's someone I would trust to, like, make the right decisions at the right times. And, and Paul can go do... Gladiator two now, and when he's done with it, he can find the next A twenty four thing or, or or what it, like a smaller TV show if he wants. But he's got the ability, and he's and he's and good looking guy. I feel like he's going to you know people love normal people. I'm amazed sometimes about the. <laughs> I know my wife loves that. it. Well, I, something I, it, about like, it. That's a show that somehow like you wouldn't think is something that would get people talking, but like certainly had its fans. So I do feel as if he he was a guy I felt like. There was no pressure to find the next thing. He has the next thing. And like, you know, it's, it's, I think of everyone, he's got the next thing he has is of one of the bigger things too. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that seems to be the secret one, two punch is you get notoriety from the awards and then you get a franchise or you get some big movie. It's like something like, you know, Amy Adams going from June bug to Enchanted, where she got the awards attention and then she got the movie that proved she was bankable. I mean, Angelina Jolie, same thing. She got, you know, Girl Interrupted, Oscar nomination. Then all of a sudden she's got Tomb Raider and then she's bankable. So that seems to be the play here with Mescal. Um, we'll see if it works. Gladiator 2, it's actually, I think it's actually kind of a risk because there's no guarantee that a, you know, sword and sandal sequel is going to be anywhere near what that the original was, which is now 20 something years ago. Uh, it'll be a risk. I'm, I'm intrigued by that one. It's definitely something that people are, are looking at, but like, I think it's also like, I enjoyed that Ridley chose someone like Paul and not a Timothy or a Miles who are also considering it, mm -hmm. um, and going with that route. All right. Give me your first nomination. I'm going to go with Stephanie Shu. I feel like interesting. 
she she was the one that like I I thought she was the best performance in that film. I thought she was the one that like she's really, in everything everywhere yeah, nominated everyone, for supporting actress everywhere all at once. She was the one that didn't win out of all of them, but right, obviously right. she's going up against Jamie and and Angela. So she kind of and that and this is where it falls into the Paul Mezcal category. Is like there was no pressure to win. She's just you know that the nomination is something, and now she's on everyone's radar. And funny enough. What gets the big promotion during the show outside of Little Mermaid, which was oh, such a weird situation, but, um, but without uh, getting off that, what gets what's another big trailer that broke? Um, first image was this American Born Chinese from uh, Daniel Destin Creighton. Michelle Yeoh also her co-star is in it, but Stephanie's in that, and that that could be a huge launching point. She has the poker face that came. Did she book anything during the season? And that's the pro- and that's the one thing. The only big thing she booked was uh, the Fall Guy. This Ryan Gosling, Emily Blunt action pick that David Leach is doing. It's a supporting role, and it, it is the one thing where she's not as high on my wins list because we have a writer strike coming up that I think a lot of people think is going to happen. And trying to find your next, you don't want to rush into the next thing because of it. So by not really having something, um, it, it puts her in a, a weird spot of like, of, you know, you don't really want to wait until February or um, September, the fall, or whenever we think the, if the strike were to happen, most people think it's going to be a couple months. You don't want to like, you want to strike where the iron's hot. And the thing is, you have all these other co-stars of yours going to be trying to get roles. So that's the one thing about being in a movie with all these things is, you know, you don't want to be, you know, fall falling in the cracks in a way. Well, the thing is, though, she's doing the commercial play. I mean, the reason why you book Fall Guy is because that's probably going to be a hit, right? Yeah. And you're going from this, what was a niche movie that ultimately did pretty well at the box office and everything everywhere and then got became an oscar movie and you got the prestige and now you're going the big commercial route makes sense i didn't see shortcomings at sundance the randall park film that got picked up um um and she's in that yeah she's in that so that that could be a fun thing if it if it pops like one of those festival darlings but um you know i i kind of was hoping that 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 she would use the fest the season to like you know, do play the way Mezcal and even Austin Butler and others found those things. All right. So let's go to my next picks. You mentioned him, Austin Butler. Yeah. Because I feel like this guy was, I don't want to say the discovery, but he was the it guy for yes. most of the season. Didn't end up winning. But I mean, this guy was a Disney Channel star. This guy was in Yoga Hosers, the Kevin Smith movie. This guy was kind of floating around, gets this unbelievable opportunity in Elvis kills it, becomes an Oscar frontrunner, and what did he do with that buzz? His strategy was the smartest strategy going into these nominations and the awards. This guy basically could do the Cliff Kingsbury and just buy a two-way, two tickets to Thailand with his girlfriend for six weeks because he's booked all the rest of the year. Like, he, he got all his, he was, he filmed two movies in, during his run. Oh, he did? He did Dune Part 2 during the campaign this is his year top of the year before elvis even premieres he's finishing up masters of air which is the band of brothers sequel at apple highly anticipated most expensive tv show ever made supposedly yeah so another thing people are going to tune in for but he's it's if you've watched any of those movies there isn't a star it's an ensemble thing and you're not expected to carry it finishes that up and he goes and launches elvis and can and then that film becomes a hit and while he's doing that he gets dune 
and where he's playing the role made famous by Sting in the original, which is supposed to be flashy, but a, a role people are excited about. And then after that, he gets the Jeff Nichols film, The Bike Riders, um, with and, but it's where he's is the lead, but it's an ensemble with Jodie Comer huh. and Tom Hardy. Now, is he going to be doing the Elvis voice in all of these movies? From now on, the thing is, I hope he. he, 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 he just, I don't think he can do that for Dune. But um, <laughs> don't say never, man. Yeah, don't right. say never. He's got probably three things. I don't know if Bike Riders is going to be ready, but it sounds like it's close. Dune is definitely like he's going to be in another film that's going to be very Oscar like uh, Oscar contender next year. And my bold prediction is is Academy loves a good villain performance for those supporting roles. If he knocks it out of the park, he could be back in the nomination seat next year. I don't think he'd win. But the Jeremy Renner, where Jeremy gets nominated for Hurt Locker, and the next year he's there for the town. Like, I, I think there's that possibility. And he could take his time and not worry about the next, next thing until, like, whenever, because he's he's going to still be very relevant. So I'm with you. Like, it, 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 I mean, that's, I still can't believe how much money Elvis made. So I know. Like, almost $300 million. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and it, he, I think for a lot of people, felt like the discovery of the season. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, give me another pick. So this is on the older one, but I, I, I'm, I gotta say Brendan Frazier and the reason. All right, let's talk about Brendan Frazier yeah. because this is a guy who had basically disappeared. Um, he has all of these hits in his past, but had kind of, you know, fallen off the radar. Um, I, he didn't even have an agent. Is that accurate? Did he not have an agent or did he, was he at a Gersh. small no, agency? No, no, Gersh, oh, Gersh okay. So he was at Gersh, uh, but he gets this role, knocks it out of the park. And what, what happened next? I mean, the, he played this right now. Now, the other thing he did while, like, when The Whale came out, this guy started, like, he did the awesome thing. He got Killers of the Flower Moon as well. He gets Brothers, which is a fun Oh, he's movie. in Killers of the Austin? Yeah, the, he's the got Flower a support. Man? Oh, okay. I, I, he's not a lead. Like, I think that film is Jesse, Leo, Jesse Plemons, yeah. DiCaprio, and Robert. But he's, like, next tier. But, um, you know, he gets another, like, that's another prestige director. On top of that, Scorsese with Leo and stuff. Yeah, the funny thing about Frazier is that he was also in Batgirl, the well, yeah, movie that got it. shelved. Yeah, and maybe that could be a silver lining because, like, oh, it's absolutely a silver lining. That thing could have been his Norbit. Norbit. I don't think. I think it was still coming out. Maybe it was coming out this Christmas. I, I feel like it was next Christmas, but like, yeah, that like enough people said it that was unreleasable to probably be like, okay, it it wasn't. It probably would not have helped his eyes. I'm sure when they scrapped that movie, I'm sure his awards consultant people were like, thank God, we do not have to deal with that. 
But so he gets all these stuff. So he still has a lot of stuff coming down the road. But the important thing, the big thing he landed that just I'm sure not a lot of people would know is in January, Ron Ward's time, he gets rid of his longtime agent at Gersh. And CA, the big bad agent, comes a calling and he signs with them. And that's a and the guy has been talking throughout award season how he wants to keep working, wants to keep doing. He's ready to get back at it. And I'm very curious what like if if those guys are now on his on our team Frazier, I they're busy. I um I feel like uh Franklin Latt is one of his one of his guys who's who's very active in getting his, his clients working. He's working with Pedro right now. Pedro Pascal. Yep. So I feel as if like they're going to keep him busy, whether it's like a limited series on Apple, whether it's like, I don't know how many leading things are coming um, just because, you know, he, it's not twilight of his career, but, you know, he's been around a lot longer than the Austins and the Anna. He's Anna not that thing. old, though. He's like late 50s, early 60s, right? Yeah, well, I mean, but like it, th- those guys are in their 30s. So like, sure, I mean, yeah. it, like. I mean, maybe he is able to like get back into the whale stuff. And stuff. I ho- he better not do the mummy. He kept talking about the mummy all awards. He's like, God, just stay. He's only fifty four. Brendan Fraser's only fifty four. <laughs> you don't need to do the mummy, but I do feel like the, landing that new big agent, like, and that that is something that happens during award season. Is these people line up the agents that really want to get them to work. Sometimes you know what? it works. Uh, I have a prediction for Brendan Fraser. I What's think yours? I think he's going to cash in. I think Marvel is in his future. I think oh, yeah. it'll be some commercial movie that'll pay him four or five million that he's been waiting a long time to get back into that paycheck and he's going to do it. I would say he cashes in on something like, like Mike DeLuca comes a calling at Warner brothers and is like, do you want to, do you want to star in one of these films? Cause I do feel like he does want that. Like I ask like that trailer that has Oscar winner, Brendan Fraser in it. Like I, totally. I think that's important to him. And yeah. like you don't get you don't see that from the Marvel of it all. They don't like to do that that much, but um, they like to hire Oscar winners like the Mahershalas and Breeze, but they don't like marketing it. I think that would be something that's kind of important to him that he is able to be like, look, I have that like screenshot I can take of the Oscar winner thing. So right. we'll right. see from there. Um, Listen, Michael Douglas did Ant Man. He's in that category, I think. Sure. Where it's oh, that, like, that's actually a smart. I actually think that's a, a play right there. Yeah, totally. All right, good, let's move on. Final actor here. We're going to go on to uh, Craig's girl, Anna de Armas. Uh, what do you think she <laughs> Don't does? Don't say with my this? girl. <laughs> <laughs> do you or do you not like Anna de Armas? I, I'm fine with Anna de Armas. I, she's not like some. Not some, you, don't have a, you don't have a poster on your wall? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, she was already a star, arguably, after Knives Out. Uh, she, you know, has done commercial studio movies. She is now Oscar nominee on Adarmas. That's And that's the key here is, is does she try, because she's got, so, she, she had a big year of just like commercial, like the gray man and, and. You know, and, and now she's got Matt's most anticipated film in Ghosted coming out with Chris <laughs> Evans. Yeah, she's going from Oscar nominee to Ghosted with Chris Evans on uh, streaming. Let me tell you this right here. After, see, like, when you watch, remember, she was not only in Gray Man and Blonde. She had that, like, the Ben Affleck, Adrian Lynn film, which was one of the, I can't believe these actors are doing this film movies I've seen in a while. Why? Just because there was, like, nudity and stuff? I, it's just, it's just to create like, 
there was a story by Variety of the 10 craziest things that happened in this film that suspended mm. disbelief, and it, they were all spot on. Oh. But, but the thing is, Ghosted could be like a best picture film compared to those three movies. Well, the thing that intrigues me about Ana de Armas is that she got a nomination for what most people thought was a pretty bad movie. They, they so, ordered her for the like doing the work. Yeah, the, the audacity of doing this performance. Yes. And, you know, it's there's shades of Angelina Jolie here for mm -hmm. Girl Interrupted, where it's just a bravura performance in a so-so movie. And she has she has now become, I think, one of these actors that the Academy will keep going back to if she does interesting work. And, and that's the thing. The next two things she's got is that ghost of film where it's her and Chris Evans, and it's like an action com rom com. And then she has uh, the ballerina, which is the John Wins uh, John Wick spinoff, which will probably will be another not fun action heavy thing. These were things that kind of Emily Blunt was doing with like uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Right. Like Emily Blunt is a very good comp for her yeah. because Emily Blunt came to notoriety via Devil Wears Prada, was kind of breakout performance. Was she not? She was not nominated. I don't believe was she? No, she had um this uh I, there was a Queen Victoria thing. There was oh there right was yes. You know, she also, Emily Blunt, started doing very commercial movies while still maintaining the prestige stuff. Yeah, and then that's the thing is, like, I, I, I'm sure, like, her honest team will do sim similar things. I don't know her agent. She's at CAA, but I don't know her agent off the top of my head. But it, it would, it makes sense. Like, if you look at the trajectory right now, she's like, all right, we got the Oscar film, but let's, like, make sure she stays in the limelight. And now she's leading stuff. Like, with, like, Gray Man, she was, like, the, like, the supporting, like, like not that damsel in distress, but she was not, like, the, the heavy there, where I feel like these next two films give her that, especially the ballerina, that could be something if done right. It's not, um again, it's not Chad Stileski directing it, but, like, it's in the realm of, of that action like john wick is just the genre almost now with like uh the, the way it does things and if that plays that could give her more chances but i would assume her team would also be like let's look at stuff from like it, it, let's get you in a room with a director like a quentin uh a chris nolan um and that's funny enough emily's doing um she, emily's doing nolan's oppenheimer and then david leach's fall guy so like it that's probably something the agent would want and uh, for honor to do the same thing meet with the director but also have a commercial thing in your back pocket and then you hope that one of these things leads to an oscar nominee down the road but it's all about like balancing type that thing you can do commercial stuff with the scorsese's too it doesn't it's not like you have to do another andrew dominic film um necessarily but right. like I would it's actually advise her not to do that, but whatever. <laughs> exactly. All right, now we'll do one filmmaker because I think we have to talk about the Daniels. Yes. Here because yeah. they arguably leveraged the attention on this movie to do the best possible thing, which was set themselves up in a massive deal at Universal to make a bunch of movies. They, they essentially got the Jordan Peele deal at Universal. Yeah, I mean that was the key. Like they don't have they don't have their next things set up, but that that this is like the Brendan Fraser agent. Like the overall the big overall deal with the studio is is the next best thing when you don't have a project because now Universal is just gonna be like, all right, guys, let's start looking through IP. What what original stuff? I would assume that they're still gonna try doing some kind of original thing like a Jordan Peele, a Nolan, but like maybe there is a monster movie they want to take on. I know. There, we talked about like Craig saying, "Is there a Marvel film in three years from now?" I actually don't think so. I think they're gonna they're gonna be more like you said. Jordan Peele makes more sense for them, um, given that they write and direct and they 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 have this you know partnership that works. But I, yeah, I mean, sky's the limit. I'm very now that they're out of the Swiss Army Man 
everything everywhere all at once budgets. I'm right. very curious when they get the studio budget. It was funny. I, I talked to an exec yesterday who said, I love that movie, but if I made that movie, um, you know, I, I'd get killed because we'd have to do it at the studio level budget and it, it just wouldn't make the money back. No, you can't. Off. I mean, they got away with a lot because, first of all, during COVID, and they did the visual effects essentially themselves. Yes. Like the, all of that stuff would have been union. All that stuff would have been way more expensive if they had done it under a studio uh, banner. But um doesn't mean they can't make yeah. a 60 million dollar version of that movie and have it do twice the the box office maybe that works and that, but that's the thing too is they're going to get the studio budget and now that they have there's just no way no one will know who these guys are when you sell from the next from the directors who did everything everywhere all at once like mm -hmm. audiences are going to show up like you know the craigs of the world are going to go we're running they along are. with everyone else and it doesn't yeah, yeah. matter if like some people found it weird people are still going to be intrigued by what it is Especially if they put Anna de Armas in one of their movies down there. <laughs> Especially <laughs> well, if they the do. Thing too, yes. like now they're going to have their pick <laughs> of of who they get to. Like I think every A list star is kind of going to want to like have a meeting at least to see what they're up to next. Sure. Like well, but Craig will only see movies with Anna de Armas in it, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> the 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 thing is, there's a risk. These guys were very successful in the indie world. You give them the studio budget. And maybe it mixes up the formula to where it doesn't work. I mean, we'll see. Well, the the, the important thing is the studio notes. Like, I, I don't know if A24 is going to give the same notes that uh, um, a Donna Langley or Peter Kramer is going to give. At Universal, like, yeah. Donna runs the studio and Peter's the uh, president of production. But I, it it does it you know. But I also but the the key there too is is going to Universal. I think is important because Donna is filmmaker friendly, and that mm -hmm. that is a an important thing. And look, I mean, just look at Jordan, and there there's a reason why Chris Nolan went there after a decade of plus at, at Warner Bros. Is, well, there's also he he had a he set up a spite store there. I mean, he was pissed. He was pissed at Warner's. <laughs> but the I, point is, is I do feel like filmmakers are are trusting of what of what they're doing over there, and and that 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 yeah. will hopefully help. Um, but it, 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 I'm I'm interested to see what they're doing next because like they clearly have all our attention after oh, what sure. will be an unprecedented Oscars with with how years from now we'll be talking about this given everything it won. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, all right. So who won the award season? Who's your pick? The one person that leveraged it the best, and we'll be talking about in ten years. I'm going Mezcal, I think. Really? Paul Mezcal? For, you think Gladiator 2 is going to be a hit? He's going to be a massive star, and then we'll look back at this and be like, wow, remember when Paul Mezcal was nominated for an Oscar for a movie nobody saw after Sun? <laughs> I just, I've liked what he's done for a while. I don't feel he's rushing, and that's the important thing is like, you know, he felt it was, the Gladiator 2 was the right time to do that after, you know, when he could have done it. In normal people was a while ago and he could have taken a shot at all those things when he got Emmy nominated for that. But I feel like taking his time, the, the team behind him, and I do feel that he's a really good actor. And and that and the, he got that nomination because voters thought he did a really good job in the film that, like you said, not many people saw. Right, right. My pick is Austin Butler. This guy was literally a Disney star a year ago. And now is being talked about as like the next Ryan Gosling, you know, the next generations, you know, he, yeah. he's getting those kinds of at least opportunities. We'll see if he actually cashes in. And but I, I think, think, and I agree. I think that kind of helps. Cause we, when we did this last, we talked about Zendaya being that big, big player. And she comes from similar, the, the similar, yep. like, it can happen. Star. 
It can you you got to make smart choices though. You got to do exactly. Do, you got you can't fall back into some of that commercial stuff that just feels like you're getting run through the movie star churn. You know what I mean? Craig, do you have a vote? Do you have a vote here? Butler, it's Butler. Butler, really? Oh, he didn't go on. I'm so. I know. So <laughs> I don't think, think Ana de Armas was already a star. I mean, she's Agreed. a James Bond. I don't know if yeah, it, this yeah, is yeah. that big of a deal. Butler went from, I mean, I, I still don't think Paul Mescal's a household name, and I think Austin Butler is. Fair. Oh, you do? Matt's going by, um, Matt mentioned 10 years. I, that's what my win was based on. But you you are for sure. Like, back in May, no one knew who Austin Butler was. And I, my sister and brother know who Austin Butler is now. I think that plays when you're like, in like the Midwest towns and stuff like that, when you're getting that type of like recon- recognition, it helps that regular people saw Elvis and regular people did not see After Sun, <laughs> um, but a lot of people saw normal people. So you know he was the internet's boyfriend for about 20 minutes when that. I came stand out. by that 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 show is more popular than Matt thinks it is. <laughs> oh, interesting. All right, Justin, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Greg, what did you think of the Oscars? I thought it was fine, generally kind of boring, not as innovative as I thought it was going to be. But I thought Kimball did a good job in the monologue, and there was a lack of movie stars at the event, in my opinion. I know. They really have a problem. Like People tune into these shows to watch stars, and that's why the Tom Cruise thing is unbelievable, the fact that he did not show up. Please, take your victory lap. You did predict this a long time ago. Yes, I was... um excoriated for saying that he I didn't think he was going to show up because he's just such a recluse now and I think that the Golden Globes Scientology joke scared him and I I just really don't think he's ever going to go anywhere anymore yeah he just doesn't like uncontrolled situations you know he needs to have complete control over the environment so that nobody can ask him a question he's not prepared for nobody can make a joke at his expense nobody can come up to him you know you're sitting there in the oscars anyone can come up to you say hello or you know as we learned last year you know punch you in the face if they want to there's (laughs) there's no (laughs) there's no control there and that's but i do think that a lot of people were rubbed the wrong way by him not showing up and i heard it throughout the show uh people were just like what the fuck like this is if this guy purports to be the ambassador to the world for Hollywood, show up to the damn awards show. Don't you think the cruise thing is getting weird now because there are more Scientology jokes than there's ever been because he's not showing up to things and it's kind of growing and snowballing. <laughs> and if he ever is nominated for an Oscar, he's never going to go. No, I think you're right. I mean, obviously, Scientology has its own issues and that the exposure of of the practices of the religion is the primary reason why it's getting bad press. But Cruz ghosting these award shows doesn't help. And it's not like Kimmel would have gone after him that much. There was one Scientology joke, and it was very, very brief. This, you know, L. Ron Hubba Hubba joke. Like, it was funny. <laughs> it was fine. He would have chuckled, and then it would have been over. Kimmel is not that guy. He's not going to go after him like that. He wants him to come on his show again to promote Mission Impossible. He's not going to rip the guy. So if he left, if he didn't show up because he was afraid of the monologue, that is an even bigger wuss move. Do we ever see Tom Cruise at the Oscars again? I say no. I think you're right. Maybe maybe if he's nominated for actor, he would show up if he thought he had a chance to win. But the moment that he didn't think Top Gun was going to win, I think he's just like, whatever. Don't need this. Don't need to put myself out there like this. Came up with an excuse. Got to get back to work. Great. Everyone works. Yeah. 
All right, that's my rant. That's the show for today. I want to thank Justin Kroll for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you on Wednesday. 